second Tuesday in November in Virginia is always Election Day, and today is no different. It is the sincere hope of all of us at Charlottesville Community Engagement that you have cast a ballot, and if not, perhaps you are reading the wrong newsletter. Still, you are welcome because all are welcome to read or listen to this regular collection of informational nuggets that are intended to be nourishing, even if at times the content is unpalatable. I'm Sean Tubbs, channeling all of the times I spent election night at Court Square Tavern. Stay safe today. On today's program, the next general election is not for another 364 days, but it's a good time to list what local offices are on the ballot anyway. The Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau will participate in a pilot program to promote the area internationally as a welcoming place for diverse and disabled travelers. And the Albemarle Board of Supervisors meets with state legislators to pitch their legislative priorities for the next General Assembly. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, the League of Women Voters of the Charlottesville area is holding a live virtual community dialogue entitled Growth Plans, Growth Pains on November 14th, 2022 from noon to 2 p.m. Panelists will discuss their views and perspectives on how and why existing Albemarle County growth management strategies were developed and what they have accomplished. They'll talk about how these plans might be modified to counter the threats from climate change. All of that will be addressed at the free event, and you can go to the League's website at www.lwv-cva.org and follow the community dialogue link for instructions. Today is election day in Virginia, and most of the usual coverage area only has one race on the ballot. There is an election for town council in Scottsville, and I'll have results in tomorrow's edition of the newsletter. There's also an election for the Stannardsville district seat on the Greene County School Board, and one for the mineral seat on the Louisa School Board. That's according to the Virginia Public Access Project. Of course, the big race is the 5th Congressional District race between incumbent Republican Bob Good and Democratic challenger Josh Throneberg. It may be accurate to say that no one wants to hear about next year's election right now, but I also have no way of knowing what is in your mind unless you leave a comment or drop me an email. But as a way of preparing for an election year that will cause double duty for municipal reporters across Virginia, here's a look at what seats are open next year for local government bodies. There are three seats for election for the Albemarle Board of Supervisors, with races in the Rivanna, Scottsville, and Whitehall districts. Supervisor Donna Price has stated that she will not seek re-election to a second term in Scottsville, leaving at least one open race. The Virginia Public Access Project lists that a Mike Pruitt is a candidate for the seat. This seat was contested in 2019 when Democrat Price defeated Republican Michael Hallahan with 55.2% of the vote. The Rivanna district was technically uncontested in 2019, but Democrat B. Lepisto Kirtley defeated write-in candidate Michael Johnson with 66% of the vote. Johnson raised nearly $100,000, Hallahan had raised $92,256. Those are close to records. 
Democrat Ann Malik has won four elections to the Whitehall District, including a win in 2019 over Republican Steve Harvey with 56.7% of the vote. Malik ran unopposed in 2011 and 2015, but defeated Republican incumbent David Wyant in 2007 with 55.7% of the vote. In Charlottesville, three of the city's at-large seats are up next year. First-time Democrats Cena McGill, Michael Payne, and Lloyd Snook may or may not be on the ballot depending on what they announced. It has been since 2015 that a sitting member of council opted to run for re-election. That was Kathy Galvin, who was elected on a ticket with Wes Bellamy and Mike Signer. 2015 was also the last time a Republican was on the general election ballot. Anson Parker received 1,205 votes compared to 4,278 votes for Signer, 4,561 for Galvin, and 4,657 for Bellamy. In 2015, Galvin opted not to seek a third term and ran instead for the Democratic nomination for House District 57 and lost in the primary to Sally Hudson. Two of the five seats on the Fluvanna County Board of Supervisors are up for election. These are the Fork Union District seat held by Moselle Booker and the Palmyra District seat held by Patricia Eager. Both Booker and Eager ran unopposed in 2019. There are three seats up for election in Greene County. These are for the Ruckersville District seat held by Independent Davis Lamb, the Monroe District seat held by Republican Steve Bowman, and the at-large seat held by Independent Dale Herring. In 2019, Lamb defeated Thomas Joseph Flynn with 52.8% of the vote. Incumbent at-large Herring defeated James Murphy, 3,373 votes to 2,647 votes, Bowman beat incumbent David Cox for the Monroe District seat, 756 votes to 636 votes. In Louisa County, three of seven supervisor seats will be on the ballot. These are the Cuckoo District seat held by Willie Gentry Jr., the Louisa District seat occupied by Eric Purcell, and the Jackson District seat held by R.T. Tony Williams. Both Gentry and Purcell were unopposed in 2019. Williams won election in a contested race with 64% of the vote. Two of Nelson County's five seats are up for election next year. These are the West District seat held by J. David Parr and the South District seat held by Robert Skip Barton. Parr was unopposed in 2019. Barton defeated Larry Saunders in a close race with 560 votes to 510 votes for his opponent. Turning now to the General Assembly, where all 140 seats in the state legislature will be on the ballot next year, under new districts drawn under the direction of the Virginia Supreme Court, when the Virginia Redistricting Commission failed to complete their task due to a partisan deadlock. The new boundaries for House District 55 cover almost all of Albemarle County, portions of northern Nelson County and western Louisa County. Incumbent Republican Rob Bell is in this district. Two Democrats are vying to be on the November ballot. They are former Charlottesville School Board member Amy Lawfer and emergency room nurse Kellen Squire. The new House District 54 covers the city of Charlottesville, as well as a portion of Albemarle's urban ring. The incumbent is Democrat Sally Hudson. The new House District 56 consists of all of Buckingham County and part of Fluvanna County and a very small sliver of Louisa County. 
The Virginia Public Access Project currently shows one Republican and one Democrat in the race for this open seat. Senator Creed Deeds, a Democrat, is moving from Bath County to Charlottesville in order to run in the new 11th Senate District. So far, he is the only person in the race for a district whose boundaries cover all of Charlottesville, Albemarle County, Amherst County, and Nelson County, as well as the western portion of Louisa County. The rest of Louisa County is in District 10, as is the rest of Fluvanna County and many other localities in the northern part of Virginia's 5th Congressional District. There are four Republicans running, including Dwayne Adams, the Mineral District Supervisor in Louisa County. The three others are Sally Brindley, Jack Dyer, and John McGuire. Do you have any interest in running for any of these offices? When you're ready to announce, please drop me a line. I plan to cover the elections like I cover everything else. And if you want to know what's happening, keep reading and listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. But we're not done yet today. An organization that works with tourism agencies across the world to attract people to specific locations has launched a pilot project with the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau to highlight the area's inclusivity. The CACVB will work with Destinations International on the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Tourism for All program. Here's a section from a press release on the pilot. Through a focus on inclusive marketing, welcoming diverse demographics, and creating accessible spaces, the Convention and Visitors Bureau can become the bright beacon to which people from anywhere can find commonality and community, while also attracting new underserved travelers to the destination, reads a press release on the pilot. The program will feature an action plan, as well as a pledge toward equity, diversity, and inclusion. Another work would develop intentionally inclusive tour products that tell the stories of historically excluded populations and reach broader audiences. There would also be a goal of ensuring existing businesses that may feel excluded that they can participate and benefit from people visiting the area. The company TripAdvisor will also be included in this Tourism for All pilot. This will be tested in the Charlottesville market, where there's a lot of potential. Here's more from the release. Black travelers spent nearly $130 billion on travel in 2019, closely followed by Hispanic travelers who spent $113 billion, the release continues. According to data from Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in 2018, one in four people in the U.S. have a disability. That latter demographic spends $95 billion a year on travel. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out. An area nonprofit wants you to know about what they offer to help you learn how to preserve, protect, and appreciate trees. The Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards holds several events throughout the year, including a walk in western Albemarle County on the morning of November 12th through a well-preserved and highly diverse woodland to see naturally occurring winterberry, spicebush, and dogwood laden with red berries. In abundance will be nuts from forest oaks, hickories, walnuts, as well as orchard-grown Chinese chestnuts, walnuts, pecans, and American hazelnuts. Registration is limited. Visit CharlottesvilleAreaTreeStewards.org for more information.
there are 64 days before the General Assembly convenes for its 2023 session, with each political party with a slight majority in each of the two chambers. Some legislation has already been pre-filed, and other bills remain from this year's session. But in the weeks to come, you can expect more bills to be filed. All across Virginia's 5th District, localities are finalizing their legislative priorities. On Friday, Albemarle supervisors met with several legislators to try to convince them to carry bills for their witch list. In attendance at the meeting were Senator Cree Deeds, Delegate Rob Bell, and Delegate Sally Hudson. Delegate Chris Runyon participated remotely. County Attorney Steve Rosenberg went through each of the seven legislative priorities identified by Albemarle Supervisors. The first three were priorities in the 2022 General Assembly. First one um, is to enable civil penalties in lieu of criminal punishment for violations of local ordinances. Um, as you all uh, will recall, Delegate Hudson uh, carried a bill, House Bill 627, last session that failed in committee. This would include zoning violations, smoking in certain places where it's prohibited, curfews for minors, or failing to return library books. The next priority uh, also, again, returning from 2022, is to expand the authority of the county to use photo speed monitoring devices. Delegate Hudson carried one bill for this in 2022, and Delegate Bell carried another. However, neither HB 630 or HB 747 made it out of the House Public Safety Committee. Rosensberg said the goal would be to allow for enforcement of speed limits on rural roads which lack shoulders to pull over motorists that are in violation of the law. The third returning priority is to allow agricultural buildings to be subject to minimum building standards. This was adopted by the General Assembly but will have to pass for a second time to go into effect. There are also other caveats. The legislation requires that the Board of Housing and Community Development promulgate safety uh, regulations for what are called agritourism event buildings. That's the, the newly defined term in the state code. Currently, there are no requirements under state law, and localities may not regulate safety standards for agricultural buildings. The new requests are to allow for Albemarle to hold a sales tax referendum for a rate increase that would provide new revenues for school construction. Such legislation was more likely to pass when Democrats held both chambers, but bills for referendums all died in House committees in 2022. I wrote one story on the demise of one of them, which you can listen to or hear in a link in the newsletter. Hudson said interest could be found in other legislators for some form of photo speed monitoring for rural enforcement, as well as the sales tax referendums. She said she would welcome those conversations. Another request is to lower the threshold for eligibility for the Virginia Business Ready Sites Program from 100 acres of contiguous land to 50 acres. Currently, only one property is eligible at the North Fork Discovery Park. Delegate Rob Bell wanted to know if there were any identified sites that would be ready to go. Rosenberg said he did not have that information at hand, but said the county's Economic Development Office has made this a priority in the Project Enable strategic plan. Bell pressed for more details and said Albemarle has had a history of turning down economic development in the past. Give us, if they have a list, of, if this makes it from the one north of town to five, maybe they could share with us where those five are and what they would, yes, sir. what parcels they would be. 
County Attorney Jeffrey Richardson said Project Enable had the support and has the support of the Board of Supervisors. We've worked in the last year with several existing businesses and companies in our county, and we've worked hard to look for uh, uh, land to support their growth. And it's and it's a real challenge in Elmore County. Another priority is to amend the Freedom of Information Act to allow elected and appointed bodies to hold virtual meetings. And there would be no limits to the number of meetings that could be held virtually. We've seen how um, the virtual meetings have uh, born of the pandemic have led to increased participation on the part of the public. Delegate Sally Hudson said she was undecided on this issue and wanted to hear more from the supervisors about why they felt this was important. And I know that all of you take civic engagement very seriously, and I'm sure that you've thought a lot about this one. My one general assembly session on Zoom was terrible. I mean, there was something very seriously lost from the inability to engage um, with people who could grab you in the hallway. Delegate Bell shared similar concerns and also pointed out that the earlier part of the meeting was spent discussing how bad broadband was in many rural parts of Albemarle. Supervisor Ned Galloway said the pandemic allowed the county to demonstrate that it could adhere to Freedom of Information Act guidelines on providing notice. He said virtual meetings would open up service on elected bodies to more people. We have a long tradition of part-time legislators in Virginia. And virtual meetings embraces that tradition and allows it to be more uh, done by more. Galloway said he has a full-time job and being able to virtually attend boards like the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is made possible if he can do so remotely. Supervisor B. Lepisto-Kirtley said some bodies have not yet made the adjustment back to in-person meetings in Albemarle. I'm on the Historic Preservation Committee. We haven't met for four or five months. We can't get a quorum. And we almost had a quorum and one person at the last minute couldn't come. Supervisor Donna Price said she did not think elected bodies should be allowed to meet virtually, but did support advisory bodies being able to do so. Senator Deeds had more sympathy to the idea and said the virtual General Assembly took away a geographical barrier for people who wanted to testify at committees. Whether you were from Bristol or Virginia Beach or Arlington, you could you didn't have to get up at the crack of dawn and spend the night before in Richmond. You could appear before your state legislature. We've tried to save that element and allow people to appear before committees on Zoom. Delegate Runyon was skeptical. Virtual legislation is not where this uh, Commonwealth is, in my opinion. I find it to be very ineffective and very chilling on our, our republic. Runyon did note the convenience of being able to participate in this meeting virtually. The final legislative priority was a proposal to allow for special exceptions for short-term rentals to expire rather than to continue on under different owners. Currently, they travel with the land. The cities of Hampton, Norfolk, and Richmond have this kind of authority in a situation where they're considering a special exception or a special use permit relating to retail alcoholic beverage control licenses. Senator Deeds said he understood what Albemarle wanted to accomplish, but said he was concerned about how to get such legislation passed because it's quite niche. How closely do you follow the General Assembly? 
What do you want to know between now and January 11th, 2023? Leave a comment and a question and that will help inform my reporting as we all try to understand better how this democracy works. And that's it for this Election Day version of the program, and the results will be in the next installment, as well as coverage of last night's city council meeting. The switch to afternoon publication is clearing up a lot of room for me to comprehend putting this out daily. There's enough information, and after two and a half years of doing this, I have an engine to help me get it done. Ongoing support from listeners and readers makes this happen, and I thank you. A thank you today to Fiori Floral Studio and Jen Finazzo for providing me for three sound bites that you heard in this podcast. If you'd like to be a voice in the show, let me know. Support does come through Substack subscriptions as well as Patreon contributions. About 40 people or so do both, and they are all eligible for some of the shoutouts you hear on the show including today's on the Charlottesville area tree stewards. Every single dollar that comes in goes to pay to produce the program, including my recent purchase of a transcription subscription to help assist production. That's a lot of T-I-O-N. I'm able to make that purchase also because Ting covers the initial payment for all new Substack subscriptions. More T-I-O-N. That could be at five... That can be at $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. If you are at the $200 a year level, you also get shoutouts. In fact, that's where the one from the League of Women Voters came from today. And even if you do not sign up for a paid subscription to this newsletter, Ting wants your business. And if you sign up for a link in the newsletter, you get free installation, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and a second month for free. Just enter the promo code COMMUNITY. That's it for today. Back tomorrow and goodbye. And let's all prepare for election 2023. Happy Election Day.